Hi, it's Tap Horner. Thanks for tuning in today to the Forish Success Podcast, an inspirational program about overcoming the I'm Too Small mindset, redefining success, and growing your lifestyle business legacy without fear. And now, here's your host, my beautiful wife and Christian business mentor, Katie Horner. Are you stuck in your office spinning your wheels? Is it time for you to get away from your business so you can focus on the business? Maybe a retreat? I'm Katie Horner of the For Your Success podcast, and though my husband and I started out in full-time ministry, living well below the poverty line, our six-figure business now gives us ministry opportunities that far outweigh the ones we had in full-time ministry. Join me and my husband, Tap, on April 30th at the Get Out of the Boat Christian Business Virtual Retreat to recharge your batteries and let us show you how fun it can be to walk out your faith in your business with joy and confidence. Because doing the business that God created you to do can be your best worship. The Get Out of the Boat Christian Business Retreat is April 30th from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. and you can attend from anywhere online. We can't wait to see you there. You can get all the info and register for your ticket right now at getoutoftheboat.com. Welcome in, my friends. This is Katie, and we are here for another episode of the Good Queen series on the For Your Success podcast. And in this series, we're looking at different queens in the Bible and in secular history and seeing what we can take from their example and their life experiences and apply it to our lives as leaders in businesses. And so today, we're going to be looking at someone who you might not expect us to talk about in regards to a good queen. This is someone who was legacy-minded. She was someone that you're maybe not quite as familiar with because, frankly, there's just not a lot of information about her. But I wanted to bring her in because I think it's important for us to see things from different points of view, from different perspectives, and be able to learn something from it. And so. Today's queen is not somebody you would expect us to be talking about in the Good Queen series. In fact, this particular queen from the book of Esther in the Bible has traditionally been defamed. She's traditionally been looked at as someone who is not a good queen, not a good example. And yet I want to show you today through scripture and through different cultural references that we have, how we may have gotten that wrong over time. And let's see what we can learn from Queen Vashti. And so if you want to stop the podcast right now and go read about her, you can go back to Esther chapter one. That's where we're pulling the biblical information from today and then come back with that fresh on your mind. Let's go through this. So there's not a whole lot that the scripture says about Queen Vashti. She's mentioned sort of in passing, but it's interesting to note that this in passing reference is how God is setting up the storyline of one of the greatest stories of all time. And it's also interesting to note that God records her name. There are plenty of other women in scripture who are mentioned in passing without their name, the mother of so-and-so, the sister of so-and-so, things like that. But the Lord found it important enough to be sure that Vashti's name was recorded. And I think you're going to see why that's so important as we go through this today. But first off, just reading down through the passage, I read through it and wrote down anything that stood out to me as a description of her, right? And so there's several things that stood out, things that are apparent from the biblical narrative. And then I went and did some research online in terms of cultural background, cultural history about who was Vashti. 
Where did she come from? Because the book of Esther doesn't give us any of that background information. One historian says that Vashti could have been the daughter of a political family of the time. And that's entirely possible because in those cultures, it was their custom that a political daughter would have been available to be betrothed to a king, right? And she probably would have been promised to him from birth, promised to King Ahasuerus and trained her entire life to be the queen, brought up with that idea. One day you will be queen. One day you're going to be queen. Queens do this. And she would have been trained in all the arts and political sciences of being a queen for that time period. Another historian seems to think that she may have been the daughter of the king of Babylon. And remember, the king of Babylon was using the utensils that had been taken from the temple of God in a party. And there was that hand that wrote on the wall that ended up calling in Daniel so he could interpret what that writing meant. And Daniel said, tonight, your life and your kingdom will be taken from you. And they say that that was the alarm, that it was Ahasuerus, the king, who conquered Daniel's king. And so it's entirely possible that Vashti was the daughter of that conquered king. And in those days, it would have been a big political statement for a king to marry someone of that sort, someone of the conquered nation and put them into subjection, so to speak. But by marrying them too, you know, marrying the daughter of a king that he had just conquered, it sort of would have given him this sort of status, no? But to do that, he would have had to put the crown on her. And another interesting thing about that is that women of those days would live in harems, right? It was like this big communal area. Women of the king the wives and the concubines of the king would live in this big communal area. They would all sort of have their own bedroom off of the main courtyard space where they would take care of themselves and their children. And their bedroom would open onto this big courtyard or their living spaces would open onto this big courtyard. But as the queen, the queen would have had her own house separate from the harem. And so this particular queen had her own house because it says she was hosting the women in her house, right? She had her own servants. She had her own space. This queen would have been someone who had been taken from among those other women and sat in this special place. And so if she was just a political bride, why would he have put the crown on her head? Why would he have gone and made her stand out in this special way? I don't know. It does seem to stand to reason that she was not just a political bride. I think there's more to the story, but we don't know what that is. And so According to the rabbinical teachings, which again were taught by men to men in most cases, Vashti has traditionally been portrayed as a vain woman, as a strong, rebellious woman. Some people say that she refused to come to the king in this instance because of her own vanity or because she was angry at the king for what he had done to her family, if that was indeed true. And so these other reasons, you know, all come into play and we have to to question them and look into them. But as I was reading down through this, some different things stuck out to me. Because if she had been trained to be queen, she would have been part of palace life, palace intrigue for many, many years. And so she would not be blind to what was going on. When we meet her, the king is ending six months of parties. He's king of 127 provinces, which essentially they were small countries, each of them, right? So he's king of 127 provinces, and he's invited all of those rulers, the highest people of those countries, to his home, to his palace, to essentially show off his wealth with this big party that lasts six months. And then at the end of this party, he decides to throw another one just for the people of his city. 
just for the people from his hometown, sort of like, look at what we did. Let's celebrate having impressed all these people and and survive this big six month celebration. Right. And so he thought that it was another seven day party. Right. And just and, and the wine is flowing freely. And Vashti as queen is hosting the women's party because culturally in that day, the men and women did not party together. And again, this is something that we know from culture and from a couple of different instances in scripture where it talks about this. But the men and women would party separately. And some historians say it was because the men did not want the women to see them inebriated and acting foolishly with all of the wine flowing and the prostitutes and whatever else may have been present as entertainment at these parties, right? But for whatever reason, we know that it was culturally unacceptable for the queen to have been at the men's party. And so culturally, it was not something that you were to do to mix the men and women guests, especially at a party, you know, of this caliber, of, of this level politically. And so he's just finished these six months of parties, and now he's having another seven-day party. And he's at the height of his pride, so to speak, at the height of his glory. And he's also at the height of inebriation, right? He was absolutely drunk from what we know. They all were. And as they started talking about how beautiful their wives are, he decides he's going to call in his queen to come before them with her royal crown and her royal garments and show them all how beautiful she is. And so there's a couple of problems with this. Number one, it's culturally unacceptable for her to be present at this event. All right. So, and I think she knew that. I think she knew that when he woke up, when he got sober again, this was going to make him look like a fool. And so whether she refused to come because she didn't want to be made fun of or because she wanted to protect her husband's testimony or she wanted to protect her own safety from a bunch of drunken men, either way, saying no was going to have its consequences. And she knew that. And she still did it. Everybody else was drunk. The king wasn't inebriated. You know, there were some people who were not because they were the one advising the king to do this thing they knew would make him look like a fool. But she also was not inebriated. She had her faculties about her to be able to make a decision like this with all of its full implications. And so reading down through the scriptures, the first thing you see is that she's queen. We don't have any backstory in scripture. It's almost as if where she came from is not important. What was important was her position now in the situation that she found herself in and her response to what was happening. And so for us in business, the translation lesson here, you know, is that we can't go back and change our history. You can't go back and change how you got to where you are now. When you look at a GPS, your GPS doesn't ask you where you came from this morning in order to tell you where you're going to get to where you want to go, right? It just says, where are you now? I can get you from where you are now to where you're going. And that's a good lesson for us in business because it doesn't matter where we've been. What matters is where we are now, not where we came from, But where are you now and where are you trying to go? It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. What matters is where are we now? What is my position now and where am I going? What is my response now to what's going on right now? I can't change the past. But if I know where I am now and where I want to go, I can make a plan to get there. I can make a good decision. I can make a wise decision. And so I thought that was a very interesting point in her story. Her position now is what is important. It wasn't important to include any of the details in scripture as to where she came from. The second thing that we noticed is that she is a hostess, all right? As a queen, as part of her job, was to be the hostess of this women's party. The men withdrew to their party over there. The women were going to do their party over here. She was the epitome of hospitality in this day. 
She was throwing the parties for the entire world, so to speak. She was planning the meals. She was attentive to the guests. She was making sure the servants were doing their jobs. She was being attentive to her job, her ministry, her people, so to speak. This is what she was put into power to do, is to care for the people in this kind of event and circumstance. What is interesting as well, part of her job and ruling was hospitality and ministering to her people. And that's part of our job as well ministering to the people that God puts into our day, our circumstance, our business, right? And then the third thing that I noticed is that she was beautiful. Her husband was obviously proud of her looks. And for each one of us, we want our people to be proud of us. We want our people to brag to other people about us, right? Hopefully it's more than just our looks, but the fact that the people closest to her bragged about her to people who didn't know her is very, very important. She had word of mouth reputation, right? She had the word of mouth marketing that told people who'd never seen, who'd never seen her, who didn't know her, how beautiful she was. And that's very telling for the kind of woman that she was. And it doesn't tell us what she looked like. We don't know what color her hair was, how skinny she was, how much she weighed. We have no idea what her body shape was or her BMI index. Like none of that is recorded. Just that she had this aura of beauty that made everyone take notice and talk about her. And in your brand and in the business that you have, you want to have a reputation that people enjoy, that people find pleasant to look at, that people want to tell other people about because of the beautifulness or the sweet savor of God's glory that you are sharing through that business to the world. The fourth thing that we see is that Vashti as queen was fearless. She was queen. She was hostess. She was beautiful. She was fearless. This is the only person in 127 countries who has the backbone to say no to the king. You think about that. The only person in 127 countries who can stand up to the king of the world at that time and say, no, that's not right. I'm not doing it. She knew all of the consequences. She would have been in the palace long enough to understand all of the intrigue surrounding this decision all the plot twists, all the things going on behind the scenes, she was not stupid. She could see. She could essentially probably know if this was a plot, if somebody was out to get her, because I'm sure they were all the time. And so in her mind, I imagine Vashti thinking, if I go, I could be mauled by all those men. If I go, they're going to ridicule me. If I go, they're going to ridicule my husband for this decision. Because the only women who showed up at those parties for the men were the prostitutes, the entertainment. That's what they did, right? So if I go, I could lose my life and my reputation or both because I said yes to the king. But if I don't go, I could also lose my life and my reputation because I said no to the king. She knew what these consequences were. And in a split second, she had to make a decision about what she was going to do. And so whether someone had it out for her or somebody had it out for the king, let's, you know, let's make him look stupid by encouraging him to do this ridiculous, politically incorrect, unethical thing, you know, unprecedented invitation to the queen of the world to bring her to this party. And then when the king wakes up, all the world is going to see how silly he was and make a fool of him, right? So whether this was specifically designed to target her or to target the king, whatever the purpose was, we don't know. We don't know the motive, but we know that she obviously recognized this as something that was not supposed to happen. And she was strong enough to say no. She recognized even then the consequences. And then what did she do? She spoke with authority. And when the king sent those seven servants over to her, 
It doesn't say that she whined. It doesn't say that she cried. It doesn't say that she pleaded. It doesn't say that she argued. It doesn't say that she took days to turn her decision around and play cat and mouse. It says she declined just like that. Calmly, cleanly said, no, I'm not going. And then what did she do? She turned her back to those messengers and went back to her business as hostess, caring for her people. And so, you know, that calmness and that assurance and that this is what I need to do. I'm not going to fuss over it. I'm not going to have a pity party over it. I'm going to remain calm. Consequences that come will come, but this is what I know I'm supposed to do. I'm going to calmly state my position and go back to my business. She was not unkind about it, right? She was not mean about it. She just said no and went back to her business. And so that's a huge lesson for us as leaders, not to be concerned about the things that we can't control. She could not control what was going to happen if she said yes. She could not control what was going to happen if she said no. What did she let that ruffle her feathers? No. She just did what she knew was right to do in that moment. And then she went back to carrying on her business, back to those responsibilities that were in her control of caring for her people, of ministering to the women who had been brought to her at that party, of managing her business, her servants, her household, right? And what happened next? What's the rest of the story? Well, of course, she doesn't show up. The king is angry. He's just been embarrassed in front of all these men. And what does he do? He starts asking the people around him for advice. And they say, well, she hasn't just offended you. She's now offended everyone in the whole kingdom because now all the women are going to think they can tell their husbands no. And so now you need to send out a decree that because she's disobeyed you, she's never going to see your face again. And every man is going to be man of his house and women should obey their husbands. And so here again, this is why I think this was a plot against the king, because here again is another act trying to make him look foolish, trying to ensnare the king in something that's going to make him look stupid. Because who in the world can control what happens inside another man's house? For him to make a decree like that is just ridiculous, right? You can't force someone to obey their husband inside their own private home. You can't force a husband to manage his house well or to do this or that inside of his own jurisdiction, right? And so making that law that says you must be man of your house and the wife must submit to her man, that just it doesn't happen. It's not enforceable. It's funny because one of the historians that I read when I was researching this said that it's almost like the whole book of Esther is written as sort of this Shakespearean comedy because you have like this passing mention of them wanting to slaughter an entire nation that gets very little attention in the whole story. And yet this particular argument between this husband and his wife is like the whole central idea of this chapter, right? It's the central basis of the whole story of Esther, because that's how Esther comes to be queen, by replacing Vashti, right? And it's, it's comical. <laughs> and then the other things that happen are kind of comical as well. But this idea that you could pass a law and make everyone do what they're supposed to do within their own homes is comical. And so here again, it would have made the king look foolish. And yet they encouraged him to do this as he was inebriated, and he does it. It's a painful point of just being embarrassed in front of his friends, right? So yeah, you should do this. And so he goes right along with it and he sends this message out to all 127 countries, defaming the queen, slandering the queen publicly, saying that she will never be seen again in my presence. And every man should be mad at his own, you know, he should be man of his own house and every woman should submit. And that's it. And that's all we ever hear of Queen Vashti. And so now, even though she had the strength of character to stand up for what was ethically and politically correct at the time, even though she was this calm and obviously very capable queen, even though she was beautiful, 
she was just slandered publicly to the entire world at that time. I mean, this man, for all practical purposes, was the ruler of the entire world. And he just made this public news announcement to the whole world that she's a bad queen. All right. So this publicly slandered. And then it doesn't tell us what happens. I mean, I was taught when I was a kid that she was sent away to live in her own little house for the rest of her life. All her needs were met, but she never saw the king again. Well, the Bible doesn't exactly say that. So I don't really know where that came from. Was she sent back to live in the harem, you know, in one of those tiny rooms off the main courtyard with the rest of the women and be looked down upon because she'd been rejected by the king? Was she killed? Any of those scenarios is entirely possible. It doesn't tell us what happened to her. But what it does say is her name. If this had not been important, God would not have included her name. And I don't know if any of you have been publicly slandered, but my husband and I have experienced that. It's not something that went out on public news to the whole world, but it went out to everybody we knew. And it slandered us publicly to the people that were most important in our lives. And to have your name drugged through the mud like that publicly is extremely painful. And in her case, it almost seems like she was doomed if she did and doomed if she didn't. Why would God put someone in that kind of a position? And yet when we see the big picture story, we see that had she not had the strength of character to say no to the king in that instance, she would have never been deposed. And had she not done that, he would have never looked for a new queen. And had he not looked for a new queen, he would not have chosen Esther. And if he had not had chosen Esther, who unbeknownst to him was a Jew, there would have been no way to save the entire nation of Jews at that time when Haman decided to kill them. And so even though there's no mention of God in this book by name, and even though there's no mention of God in Vashti's life, I believe that God honored Queen Vashti by including her name in the book and her example in this story. Because years and years and centuries and generations later, we are still seeing how someone who is in an impossible situation was used by God. Why do bad things happen to good people? We don't know, but we do know that God uses those things. When bad things happen to good leaders, God uses those things. When bad things happen to good queens, God uses those things. Even if we can't see it now, things are getting harder. Generations from now, people are going to be blessed and encouraged by the legacy that we leave, by the choices that we make, by the responses that we have, that we choose to have to the situations that God walks us through in our life. And when you look back and you see that Queen Vashti took a stand for what was ethically and politically correct, whether or not she was vain, whether or not she was selfish, because none of those things seem to come into play here. She was strong. She took a stand for the right action in an impossible situation even though it cost her her reputation and perhaps even her life. And yet years beyond her lifetime, we are still talking about Queen Vashti and that strength of character and all of the lessons that we can learn from her. God honored her because she took the part in the story that he was playing out to save his people. And so I think that the biggest lesson for us as modern day queens and leaders in our businesses, people who are leaving legacies, for our people to always look to in years to come is to choose what is right, to always be firm in our decisions, to follow what is ethically correct, to follow what is virtuous, to be calm, to make decisions that minister to the people God has placed in our charge. 
to minister to the people that God has entrusted to our influence, even though we may be in the midst of our own personal crisis, and to trust that this is all a part of his wonderful story. He is writing a legacy story through your life, through your business, whether you know it or not. And we don't know who our descendants are going to be, just as she doesn't, she didn't know who her descendants were. We still don't know anything else about her. And yet, centuries later, we are still looking to Queen Vashti for the example of how to be queen in an impossible situation. And I want people to look at your example for how to be queen someday, too. Who are the greatest queens in history? What made them so great? I would submit that they were women just like you who also led movements. They led, they loved, they battled, they conquered, they changed history for their people. They were the good queens. Each year, I get to walk hand in hand with a small group of queens to help you be the leader of your movement, to create your handprint legacy business, to scale your income and impact, to be the good queen for your people, the one they will honor. For years to come. The Queen's Mastermind is only open for enrollment at our live event, Handprint Legacy, each year. But over the course of the next several weeks, I'm going to introduce you to several queens, both modern-day queens and historic queens, and the impact that they have had and still are making on the world as we know it. We're going to see what we can learn from them as we lead our people in the modern-day marketplace. Being a good queen is not just about how you dress or what you do. It's also about how you believe and who you are becoming. So I hope you'll tune in to the next several episodes of this mini-series about becoming the good queen. I want to honor you for taking time to invest in yourself and your business by listening in today. The Forest Success Podcast is brought to you by Katie Horner of HandprintLegacy.com. Wherever you're listening, please leave us a comment or review. For show notes and links to the resources mentioned in today's episode, visit www.forearsuccesspodcast.com. And remember, your message matters. You've been so caught up in figuring out how to market your business the quote right way, you found yourself overwhelmed and your dream a little muddied. What if a simple mindset reset could help you realign your vision, refine your expectations, and revive that dream for your business? I'm Katie Horner, author of The Flamingo Advantage, and for two decades, I've been teaching business owners just like you how to make your business and marketing decisions with faith, with clarity, and with purpose, empowering God's people to live out their best worship through the business. My framework teaches how to realign your mindset and your business practices with God's Word so that you no longer operate in fear or lack of criticism, but in confidence and powerful intention. I'd love to invite you to grab a free copy of my book, Just Pay Shipping, at freeflamingobook.com. You, my friend, have an advantage, and your uniqueness helps you live out God's purpose for you in the world. freeflamingobook.com.